there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me for a special MLS Cup final preview featuring interviews with Commissioner Don Garber, Portland's Giovanni Savarese, and New York City's Sean Johnson. Before we get going, you can sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including this week, a new magazine feature on the Spanish show El Chiringuito, and an on-location story from the MLS final in Portland. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription at grantwall.com. Here's my interview with Don Garber. The MLS Cup final between Portland and New York City is Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC and Unimas. And our guest now is MLS Commissioner Don Garber. Don, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's great to see you. As well, Grant, I could see you because we're doing the Zoom, but they're going to just hear us. Audio only on the podcast front for now, but uh, we've been doing, you and I, these annual MLS Cup interviews for, I think, 22 years now, and I always look forward to them. If you could tell 1999 rookie MLS commissioner Don Garber one thing that would have been good for him to know, what would it be? What were you thinking? So, I I remember when I left the NFL (laughs) and I had an exit interview with a bunch of folks from their commissioner to a guy that I was very friendly with, a guy named Steve Sable, who was, you know, one of the great sports, you know, filmmakers, you know, in our lifetime. And that's what Steve said to me when I told him I was leaving to uh, go run this fledgling soccer league. Uh, Man, I, I... so I would say to the young Don, man, what were you thinking at that time? Like Steve Sable said to me, but, you know, ultimately, Grant, I think, you know, as I look back and, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not done, so I'm not ready to entirely look back. You know, I, I think I probably would have said, you have no idea what the next 20 years are going to look like with the massive opportunity that exists in our country and now in Canada. Uh, to support the game of professional soccer, uh, that fans would ultimately take to uh, the the supporter movement the way they have, that owners would make the commitments that they have made, that they and their you know municipal partners would spend billions and billions on stadiums and so many other things. You know, I used to say in the beginning, you know, this is the hardest job in pro sports. I look back now and say we probably achieved more than any other league has achieved in their first 25 years. And, you know, that's pretty cool to be a part of that and to really be driving the bus. It's December 2021 right now. What are you most excited about with MLS at this moment? What are you most concerned about? Well, you know, I'm really excited about where the sport is and the role that MLS has played in driving the popularity of the sport. And it's you know, competitiveness globally, the development of the success in developing players. This year, I think, sort of told the story of MLS at its best, you know, working against all odds and still uh, getting through the pandemic. This is year two of the pandemic. When we started the year, we had no idea we'd be playing games, let alone most of our games in front of fans. You know, we had um, momentum going into this year, even coming out of the challenges of 2020, 
and what COVID uh, presented us with a new team in Austin that just, you know, is the best of what MLS could be just absolutely spectacular. Three new stadiums representing, you know, I think the best of, of what MLS has been able to do from a facility perspective. We announced a new youth league. We announced a new second division with MLS next pro just the other day. We today announced a very ambitious diversity hiring initiative that I'm very proud of. So, man, it just seems as if even after all these years, uh, so much is happening year after year. And I still think our best days are still ahead. MLS's current eight-year broadcast rights deal ends one year from now. You said on your State of the League call that you expected the new rights deal to get done in the first quarter of 2022. What sort of meetings have you already had on that? How many interested parties are there? And, and do you think there will end up being more than one English language partner in the New Deal? Good questions. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to each one of them. We have, you expect me to say this, but you know, I believe it in my heart. ESPN has been a partner and ABC has been a partner of Major League Soccer since our founding in 1996. They were the driver of the creation of Soccer United Marketing when we, together with them, bought the World Cup rights and U.S. soccer's rights. So we have a great relationship. Fox has been a partner with us for many years. I think they do an incredible job. I'm so pleased to see what Alexi and what Stu and what John Strong have been doing. I mean, they love the league and they treat it with respect and admiration. And Univision's been with us really from the beginning as well. So starting with the incumbents, I mean, we've got great partners. I'd love to see them continue. What's unique, and we describe it as the old package was apples, the new package isn't oranges, they're walnuts. And I say that because it's such a different package we're taking to the market. All of our local games, all of our national games, our streaming rights or linear rights, call it our broadcast rights, if you will, from um, terrestrial and cable, uh, our data rights, our sports betting rights, our international rights, out of market, all one giant bundle. And bundle is not a coincidence. It is a, a mini bundle of unique rights that can be, you know, I think transformational in terms of how we engage with consumers and fans and, and ultimately create value for ourselves and our partners. So I see, you know, we're out in the market. We've got lots of interested parties. Everybody who you would expect is talking with us, not just our incumbents, but new folks that have been engaged in, in buying soccer rights and all of the big streaming services who are intrigued by the fact that you actually could offer a global package of one league's rights with one phone call. You don't have to go market by market and gate it and buy those rights with tenders like the other soccer leagues have to do around the world. One streaming service could broadcast games and even time shift them and directly sell them to consumers or offer them to consumers with one shopping point. So very excited about it. You mentioned this, the league made a, an announcement this week that you have updated the league-wide diversity hiring policy with a key change requiring two candidates for sporting positions to be considered in the finalist stage and one must be black. What went into this change and what do you expect to come out of it? Well, what into the change was the realization that our technical staffs were not representing the diversity of our country and the diversity of our player pool. And I mean, that was the basic premise that we were trying to address. And whether the previous rule, the so-called Rooney rule that all leagues have, was effective in providing opportunities for underrepresented groups to 
not just interview, but ultimately get jobs in our technical staffs. You know, we, we've made progress uh, with Nancy in Montreal and Ezra Hendrickson now in Chicago, and obviously Robin Frazier, who's such a wonderful, wonderful and successful coach. But, you know, we'll have 27 teams. We have three black coaches. We don't have enough coaches of color at the technical level. And I think we need to work harder to achieve that. In order to do that, you need to provide access, but you also need to have a pipeline of qualified candidates. And we're going to work both on the access point with the new policy and then have programs to drive uh, uh, the opportunities for those who right now are trying to figure out can professional soccer coaching or technical careers make sense for them. Which of these three teams is closest to a new stadium? New England, New York City, Inter-Miami? Inter-Miami. Why? Well, you know, I think Inter-Miami is uh, making a lot of progress in the uh, agreement that they're uh, uh, negotiating with the city of Miami. And uh, that is a as complicated, as complicated a process as it is in New York and Boston. You know, you've got a very uh, well-developed uh, city with expensive real estate, lots of growth, lots of opportunity, building big projects, 10, 15, 20 acres uh, that are not office buildings or residences is just difficult. Uh, but, but Jorge and Jose Mas have been working hard at it for years, uh, even before they had the team. MLS was working on a number of different opportunities, and uh, they're, they're getting close. On your State of the League call, you said you were not in favor of having World Cups every two years. Based on your knowledge of things at FIFA, and I know you're on committees there, what do you think are the chances of it actually happening? No, that's not something, Grant, it's a fun question. It's not something I could sort of prognosticate on. I, I don't know what ultimately uh, happens, whether it goes to vote or not. That's for others to decide. Uh, you know, I think that the the football playing, soccer football playing world has spoken. You know, the, the key confederations uh, have come out uh, against it. Uh, many of the leagues have come out against it. A number of broadcast partners have come out against it. A number of political government groups have come out against it. Our uh, group, the representatives of uh, of the leagues uh, around the world, which is called the World Leagues Forum, has come out against it. Not because we don't believe that FIFA shouldn't innovate. And you know, and if you don't innovate, you die in any world, any business, even your personal life. You know, soccer needs to do it and FIFA needs to do that too. And I admire Gianni Infantino for trying to come up with new ideas. I think he will be known for that. Uh, and I admire his, his energy and optimism on disrupting things. But whether you want to disrupt the most popular sporting event in the world by changing its very nature uh, every four years, I'm not quite sure uh, I and others like me think that's the right thing to disrupt. Uh, and we'll see how it plays out. I want you to help me with something here. More than one sports business publication has valued multiple MLS teams at $800 million each. And Newcastle United recently sold for half that to the Saudis. How can that be possible? And are some of these MLS team valuations justified by the actual current revenues coming into the league? Well, you know, prices uh, are in, a, in, a, in an open market are justified by what, what people will pay, right? So it's not for me to determine whether those prices are justified. It's really those people who are bidding for these teams that are making that decision. 
And as it relates to, to Newcastle, I really can't comment on it. You know, Grant, I have a very personal view that when you buy a team that's not one of the top, top teams in the Premier League, you don't know whether it's going to be in the Premier League or not in time. So what you're really buying is an opportunity that has no defined long-term uh, value because there are plenty of great teams in the Premier League that are no longer in the league. You know, we have an owner that, uh, that owns Swansea, it was in the league, and now it isn't. And that has affected his desire to invest in a new building, for example, and like, because there's just no guarantee as to what the revenues are going to be. Now, I understand that I'm thinking about that as a guy running a league and not thinking about it as a fan. That's my job. Uh, so perhaps that's playing into it. It could be some of the things that you need to do in the middle of the pack in the Premier League or the bottom of the pack to be competitive, to make it into the UEFA Champions League, to be able to attract the kind of attention that you need to build a wonderful brand like Newcastle. You know, like Alan Shearer, I mean, there, there's some great history there, but you probably have to spend a lot more and you may or may not see the benefit of that. And perhaps that's built into the pricing. So we saw the European Super League idea fall apart in just two days earlier this year. But a couple things that the Super League would have had were expected revenues for the teams involved and spending controls on the teams involved as well. Do you think the current business model at the top of the European at the top of European soccer is sustainable? And do you think it could eventually fall apart and MLS could potentially take advantage of that? Well, that is a, it's a good question, Grant. And, you know, I've made a, I remember, I always have so much fun chatting with you. And, and then you joke about how I go off the record so often. So the <laughs> conversations end up being longer than what you could put on an article here. I can't do that. Um, you know, I've made a decision many years ago after I got scolded by another uh, major league sports commissioner when I was, you know, took this job about a year or two in, and he reminded me to keep my powder dry and not talk about anybody else's league. Uh, and uh, I took that advice and, you know, I'm a pretty good listener. So <laughs> I've made a career out of not stepping on myself. I don't have any ego need to be the guy that speaks about, you know, professional soccer football uh, in ways where I'm, uh, you know, no, no, certainly not an expert. What I have observed over the last couple of years, particularly during the pandemic, is that uh, the, the structure of these other leagues, top five, without spending controls, uh, creates uh, the opportunity for crisis, things you can't control, financial crisis or a pandemic uh, that can just create enormous instability because the underpinnings of, of the economics of those leagues uh, don't have the same checks and balances and same controls that has driven the success of the North American major sports leagues. That's why we you don't have teams going out of business ever. You know, you have continued increase in team values. You have massive, massive investments in infrastructure, which you do not see in the year in the, the top five leagues because of lack of potential sustainability. And you have the, the credit market uh, and, and other financial institutions that see long-term appreciation, and therefore they're willing to invest. And that has not necessarily taken place in the top five leagues. 
I talk about it a lot when I speak internationally, Grant. I think many of these leagues look at major league soccer. We're fledgling. We're young. We're 25 years old. And I don't think that they believe on the field we can be as competitive as, as many of, of the top teams in those leagues. And maybe in time, we, we will be way more competitive than they are. I'd argue we're more competitive than people give us credit for. But what they do admire is our structure. The fact that we reach an agreement with our players on what we're going to spend. They know their long-term stability. They know they're going to get paid. They know they have health care. They know that we're going to deal with them with engagement programs when they join the league and when they're in the league and then when they ultimately leave and retire. There's just so many professional processes in place that ensures long-term stability. And the fan is the one who benefits the most by that. So I'm not sure I know enough about what the long-term effect is on these leagues where only one or two or three or four or five teams win everything. What I will say is I really believe in the MLS model and investors really believe in the MLS model. And that's why teams, to your previous question, are valued the way they are because there's stability and long-term exposure and vision for what the future will look like. I want to ask you about another structure, your playoff structure, just how it's set up. We have a situation where this new single elimination playoff format came in three seasons ago. None of the six teams that were the number one seed, the best teams in their conference in the regular season, advanced to the final. And if you go back even with the previous playoff structures, there's only two number one seeds that have advanced to the final since, I think, 2010. Is that concerning? Well, you know, I don't know that it's concerning per se. I mean, it's certainly creating a lot of debate and it's creating a dynamic where we have to think about, do we have the right format going forward? Obviously, things will change a bit during uh, next year because of the fact that the World Cup's taking place ordinarily in the middle of our playoffs, so we'll have a different format. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm not sure that in the years to come with more teams, the actual structure of the format will remain the same, could change. And uh, so uh, I've always been a subscriber and push out group to think that what we've done today might work, it might not work. Let's be sure we're not stuck on it for our own ego or other stubborn purposes and be sure that we're smart enough to and courageous enough to make changes. Let's look at it the way I look at it. Uh, broadly at 30,000 feet. We had an unbelievably exciting, competitive playoffs this year. We had record television rating, including the highest rating in the history of the league on Thanksgiving Day, almost 2 million people watching a game up against a big-time NFL game. And, you know, you had thrilling games. I don't know, four or five of them ended in, in, in the 90th minute. And I was at a lot of those games, man. They were just unbelievable. So, whether or not the number one seed makes it or not is probably less of a concern to the schedule makers. What the schedule makers are thinking about is, do, did we engage our fans and have a very, very exciting playoff format that drove ratings, that drove interest, and ultimately was very competitive and fun and exciting? I think the answer to that would have been yes. As a follow-up, could we see in the future the MLS Cup final being on Thanksgiving Day, knowing that next year that won't be the case because it's the World Cup will be happening. But beyond that, is that a possibility? You know, it's a good question, Grant. Uh, I'd, I'd like to say this. I'd love to see us having a Thanksgiving game every year. Uh, whether or not that's the MLS Cup, we'll have a lot uh, that we're going to have to think about. You know, as you know, 
We're starting the MLS season earlier than any other time in the history of our league in February, in the end of February. We're going to have more teams. It's going to be more crowded. We're going to have so many other things going on. 2023, we'll have the Leagues Cup that'll take place in the summer. So I'm not sure we'll be ending earlier going forward. So I, I don't know that we'd ever have an MLS Cup on Thanksgiving. It'll be a good idea, though. A couple more questions for Don Garber. Really appreciate the time during a busy week. When you have new owners buying into MLS at such high price points, $400 million for Houston, Orlando, and Chicago, a $325 million expansion fee for Charlotte, it makes sense that those owners would want to spend a lot of money on players. How much is that desire coming into conflict with some of the league's original owners who may not want to spend as much on players? Well, you know, the league original owners now are few and far between. You know, we you know soon going to have 30 teams. You know, our, our 28th team joins this year. I mean, next year. So, you know, uh, there were only three or four original owners around, right? So I'm not quite sure anybody is thinking about what do the original guys think about? Because, you know, it's, it's funny, Grant, like Portland's sitting around the table. I mean, they're, they're not considered new. You know, they're certainly not considered original, right? And Portland and Philadelphia and Atlanta and, you know, Seattle. So, I mean, you have all, all these teams that are sort of in the middle pack, right? So, you know, the way, kind of fun answer, you got the original founders. You have those that, are, that came around in the middle of, the, of, of our 20, 25 year period. And then you have the really, really new folks. And all of them are trying to figure out what is the right way for us to ensure that we have the, the, the most competitive product to create an opportunity that any given day, any team could win. And at the same time, in a very competitive and crowded marketplace, ensure that we have a product on the field that's exciting, compelling, and, and is competitive particularly now that we're getting into more competitions with, uh, with Ligamex. So, you know, I, I, I think less about the, the early, the guys with the early teams are thinking about and more about what is the right formula. What I will say is the Crafts, the Hunts, and Phil Anschutz, and Kroenke, these guys are great partners. They got in early. They're thinking about the best interests of the league. They've invested massive amounts of money. So I had the terrific ESPN reporter, John Sutcliffe, who does a lot on Mexico, but he also does Monday Night Football on my podcast this week. And he's well-connected to Mexico, and he still thinks that the expanded month-long League's Cup in 2023 with every Liga MX and MLS team in it will eventually lead to a full merger of the two leagues. And if Sutcliffe thinks that, there's a good chance that Liga MX owners think that. What do you say to that? <laughs> well, I, I think if I had to say, Grant, and you've probably asked most of these questions over the last 20 years, there are probably four or five questions I get asked all the time. Promotion relegation, the international calendar, when is Miami coming into the league? And now... When is MLS going to be merging with the Mexican League, right? So we're not, we don't have the international calendar. We're not going to have promotion relegation, you know, and we're not going to be merging with the Mexican League, though we do have a team in Miami. I also got asked when's, a, when's New York and Boston going to get uh, soccer stadiums, and we will at some point have those. So I, I think when putting John, you know, I have a lot of respect for John, and I'm really not that concerned about what the League of Mex owners think. Because at the end of the day, that's not a decision they're going to make, right? It's a decision that we're going to make in terms of making the, you know, making the decision to go forward with uh, the concept of merger. The whole idea, putting aside what their objectives might be, is to have interleague play between our two leagues, right? We want to make CONCACAF more relevant, 
more powerful, to take the two leagues that uh, are the, the most important drivers of the sport here in this region, uh, be able to be uh, in a position to drive value for everybody, fans, players, clubs, and whatnot. And we're going to get that value with, league, with the League's Cup without having to go with tearing up corporate structures, figuring out how they get, have to get a CBA, a salary cap, all the things that you asked before about the international clubs. Well, guess what? League of Mex is an international league, right? And they don't have the salary caps. They don't have a CBA. They're, they're, they're just, and God bless them. I, I love, you know, the, uh, uh, their president. He and I have become great friends. Enrique Benito is one of my really good friends, their former president. I love what they're doing with their league. I have a number of owners that I'm very friendly with. I've gone to many games down there. They're building stadiums. They're modernizing their league. Uh, and let's just get this thing going. Let's have everybody say League MX is so successful. I mean, League Cup is so successful. What's next? But it's not happening until 2023. So we got to think about what's now until we think about what's next. There is one other question that I tend to ask you that you didn't mention. I'm going to finish on this one. What's your current contract status and how long do you want to keep being commissioner? Well, you know, I think that is something that you ask me every year, Grant. You know, my my contract runs through the 2023 season, uh, so I still have some time and uh, I will have plenty of time to think about what the future holds for what is now the second long, longest standing commissioner in the major leagues in North America. I came in, I was the young pup. I'm now an old dog. <laughs> <laughs> the MLS Cup final between Portland and New York City is Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC and Unimas. Don Garber, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Grant. Big thanks to Don Garber. Now, here's my interview with Giovanni Savarese. Our guest now is Portland Timbers coach Giovanni Savarese, whose team is hosting New York City in the MLS Cup final on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC and Unimas. Gio, it's great to see you. Congratulations, and thanks for coming on the show. It is a pleasure to, to talk to you. You've had an amazing record in the playoffs as a coach. I don't know if you keep track of all this stuff, but you won three NASL titles with the New York Cosmos, you won the MLS's back tournament last year, and now you're in your second MLS Cup final as the Portland coach. What are the keys in your mind to winning in playoff tournament soccer as opposed to the regular season? That's a great question. Uh, you know, and sometimes you can start saying things that that you believe are the reasons why it, um, maybe you know we have the fortune to have uh, been very uh, you know. Um, pragmatic during this, this period of times, but the reality, you know, I think is just the, the will to win, the will to, you know, to um, have a group together and, and do things as a group. And, and I think always the power of a group uh, is bigger than, than any individual. How do you see this game against New York City and will Sebastian Blanco be in a position to play for you? It's going to be a very difficult match. I mean, every game that, that you play in the playoff is always difficult. Uh, MLS Cup is uh, not different, um, and especially playing against a New York City that is a very good team. They have uh, good players. They have a good style of play. Uh, so they're going to be very competitive. I, I really think it's going to be a good soccer match uh, for what the two teams can offer. 
Um, and I think it's a perfect venue. I mean, a dream come th true to, to be able to play this game at, at home. And we still uh, are looking at Seba in, in understanding what, what part he's going to take in, in, in this final. Uh, we're still looking at him. He's still working, trying to, um, you know, work to see how many minutes he could have. So, but for sure, in some role, he will have, uh, you know, participation in, in, in this game. Even this season, back in July, you had some Timbers fans calling for your job. You had some real injury issues, and the low point was probably losses to Seattle and Austin. What was that situation like for you, and how did you get out of it? Yeah, we, we, we went through a, a difficult moment, um, in, and for really good reasons. Uh, I mean, we had about 11 players injured. We, we had to play the CONCA champions. There was a lot of, you know, uh, back and forth, traveling to Mexico, coming like, you know, the week before uh, going to Mexico, having to play Dallas, um, play a second team, you know, because of the injuries, uh, having to change systems. So we lost a little bit of wave in, in trying to survive uh, during that, that period of time. And, and uh, once players start coming back, you know, we had to reinforce some of the things and a lot of communication built up, you know, again, uh, the belief in the players. And, and uh, I'm, I'm very content and looking at, you know, from that uh, moment and very proud of uh, what we accomplished as a staff, uh, what the players accomplished. That uh, from that time in July, we were able to be a very, very good team, very strong. And, you know, in criticism uh, for people that care, uh, you know, you have to understand that as long as, you know, uh, you hope that they, they criticize you for the right things. Um, and, and if people remember why sometimes you, we get to that point, it's normal that I fan, a fan wants their team to do well and they can be frustrated. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, we show that this team had character and, and we, you know, picked it up at that moment to be able to be now hosting MLS Cup. Every season, every team has a journey that it goes on. How would you describe the journey of this Timbers team this season? First, and, and this should have been said um, in, in the question that you asked me before, uh, I also um, you know, thank the organization and Merritt and Gavin uh, as well for believing in me uh, in during that time, uh, in trusting me in, in in pushing the right buttons to continue to push the team to get what we got. And thank God that that trust paid off. Um, and uh, the, 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 the Timbers is, is, a, is a, a great uh, culture, a, 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 a team that has, I think, always try to do the right things in, in what they believe that, uh, you know, the role is in Major League Soccer. Uh, being in Portland feels uh, real, that you're in a real the place where soccer matters and and you can be walking around and, and people are in tune about results and, you know, and you get the person that tells you, you know, you got to fix a little bit of difference and, and uh, you know, <laughs> or the same token, you get the one that uh, we're proud that we're now playing this MLS Cup, you know, and, and people care and, and, and we care comes passion and, and, and you want to be in these type of places that um, in these cities that, you know, soccer matters because you feel that uh, you're in a real soccer, uh, you know, location in, in Providence Park. 
when the fans are there, um, it, it was incredible. You know, what we're going to experience this weekend uh, with MLS Cup uh, is going to be unique in the United States. I know that you mentioned Merritt Paulson, the Portland owner, the GM president, Gavin Wilkinson. I know how much of a role they play on a daily basis with the Timbers and the culture of the team. How does that relationship work with you as the head coach and those two guys? How, how often are you meeting with them uh, on, a, I assume, a fairly regular basis? There's, uh, I think, uh, a, a good situation in regards to how things operate. I think uh, the most important part is that there's trust uh, in each other. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and, 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 and there's normal situations that sometimes, you know, um, the, the, there's uh, contradictions and there's uh, situations in which you know uh, one believe one thing, the other one. But but I think the the important part is that we sit down to to converse and to talk about it. And 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 there's always you know uh, it's better to have three than two. So that way uh, you know in some moments information can be given in different ways and. But uh, I, I think, you know, in, in, in our lunches, um, because we get to eat uh, together every week uh, to be able to have conversations, to, you know, talk about, you know, uh, good things, bad things, and, and make sure that we always uh, communicate it. Um, those conversations, sometimes they get hit, sometimes they're easier, they're, you know, always with good meals. Uh, but I think the communication has been very, very good. And, and, and I think that's a very important part in, in this organization. Are you personally in any ways different as a coach now than when you first took the Portland job in 2017? Yeah, you you know, I, I don't think I ch- change what I believe in, uh, in, in, in the way I see soccer. Um, Yes, you adjust. You have to adjust uh, because you know you, when when you have a new group, uh, you have to look at the strength of your group and and uh, and you have to try to provide to the group, you know, the closest version to what you believe, but it's still being able to uh, hand uh, to the group, you know, um, the strength of the group in order to make sure that at the end. Uh, you can be successful um, in, in in the season that you played in playoff in in being always competitive. For me, is trying to find the formula. In, in when I say the formula, is you know a little bit of what you want. Uh, if it can be a lot of it, great. Uh, but um, you have to also see the players that you have and and, and make sure that uh, you pay to play to the strength uh, of the group. And and I think uh, even though I, I still I am the same in in the same beliefs, you grow, you evolve, you become better and and now that i made the jump from the nasl uh, to mls um you know from the first year being fortunate to make the final the first year now getting back here this past you know uh four years that have been important of course there's always an evolution and and you know and when you get older you you learn more things for sure we're winding down here with giovanni sabarese i really appreciate you taking this much time uh you're doing big things as a coach, you obviously played internationally for Venezuela. You have an international presence. Would you ever want to coach internationally? Maybe, maybe in South America, maybe in Europe. Of course, of course, uh, it, it is something you always want to have big challenges and, and opportunities, you know. But I'm also very content uh, where I am. I, I'm happy to be the head coach of the Portland Timbers. I feel proud to be, you know, the head coach of this organization, the, the being part of this city, being part of this, you know, fans. 
Um, so uh, I'm very content to be here. Yes, I think anybody that, that you will ask, you know, they, they always have aspirations to say, uh, you know, they, you want to see how competitive or what levels can you get to either with club uh, soccer or, you know, or, or international, a national team. And, and of course, you have always some dreams uh, like I have, you know, sometimes maybe to coach the Venezuelan national team or, or, you know, this country, U.S., has given me so much in, in a big opportunity to be able to be where I am at the moment. Um, so who knows, you know, what could happen in the future. Uh, but uh, the future is open to, to those possibilities. Uh, but I'm very content uh, where I am right now. Last question for you today. What would it mean to you to win an MLS Cup title for the city of Portland? Portland already has won one title, but winning a title at home in Providence Park, uh, it, it is special. I think you cannot get better than that. And to have that forever being part of, uh, you know, the history uh, during the time that I was here as a coach or or who, ne- who knows how many years I will be here. Uh, but uh, having that and accomplish that, um, you know, I, I think is something that will make us very proud already. Being the, the team that won MLS Cup is a unique situation because who knows if there will ever exist uh, an MLS, you know, back tournament. So us putting our print into, you know, lifting the cup and in our name, is something that will always treasure. Um, so accomplishing this will be a, an incredible moment, and, and and you know hopefully we can achieve it, and and through achieving it, hopefully we can enjoy it um, because it will, it will be a, a true event. Giovanni Savarese's Portland Timbers host New York City in the MLS Cup final on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC and Unimas. Good luck, Gio. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure always. Many thanks to Giovanni Savarese for that interview. Now, here's my interview with New York City's Sean Johnson. Our guest now is Captain Sean Johnson of New York City, whose team will face the Portland Timbers in the MLS Cup Final this Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC and Unimas. Sean, it's great to see you. Congrats on getting to the final. Thanks. Thanks. Great to be here. I appreciate it, man. It's been a, it's been a good journey so far. And that's what I want to talk about. You've gotten past three tough teams to get to this final. Atlanta, Supporter Shield winner New England, and Philadelphia. How would you describe this playoff run that your team has had? Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're proud of, um, you know, what we've accomplished so far. I think, uh, you know, we, we've approached every game uh, with the right mindset. You know, obviously, we face some good opponents, um, you know, Supporter Shield winners, um, Atlanta um, finished finished the season on a on a good run there. So um, yeah, we, we've played played against some good opponents and some some tough places to play. But um, ultimately, I think it just, uh, comes down to to our mindset and how we've approached every game. So uh, proud of proud of the guys and um, and all they put in uh, physically, mentally. Um, but uh, I think everybody's really focused on and locked in on on the big one on Saturday. How do you see this matchup against Portland? in what's expected to be a really loud atmosphere and cold and rainy conditions. Yeah, I think, you know, Portland's a great place to play, um, great atmosphere. Uh, I think, you know, everybody's looking forward to it. Uh, played in Philly. Um, Philly had, you know, an unbelievable atmosphere as well. It was rocking there, um, New England. So I think, you know, we've played in some good places. Um, you know, Portland, Portland also being up there with, 
with uh with one of those places that that you you know you want to go in and you want to get that experience um you know i've played there a few times in my career uh so i'm looking forward to some of those guys that haven't played there to experience that and uh, again i think everybody's just looking forward to the occasion as recently as september and october your team had a run of one win in 10 games and that one win was against last place cincinnati what was going on then and what changed yeah, that, that, that run was very, very tough for us, um, you know, but I, I think, you know, in, in a time like that, um, you know, we we really came together as a group. Uh, you know, that's that's a that's a run that could, could break a lot of teams, uh, break a lot of teams down, uh, cause a lot of turmoil. Um, but we have we have guys that have been through now, um, you know, a few seasons with the team, um, you know, some up to five, five or six seasons, I believe. So just really drawing on those experiences and, and really coming together as a collective, um, you know, making it a mission to, to get through that moment together. Um, I think more than anything is, is how do we get through adversity having, uh, you know, use, using those experiences, learning, using those experiences as learning experiences, um, and then pressing on and making sure that we're applying those um, when we, when we get through it. Um, so I think that's, that's a testament to the group we have and, and, and the guys, again, you know, it's, it's uh, it's a mindset and it's uh, it was really easy to go the other way, but I think we, we've stuck together through it and it's brought us closer together for sure. You've been with New York City since 2017. How is this team different from previous city teams that you've been on? Yeah, you know, we've, we've had a lot of players um, come through the door here at City and a lot of talent. Um, it's uh, an unbelievable standard as a club. Um, you know, everybody that's come here has given everything. And uh, I think, you know, this group, uh, this group's special. We've added, we've added, uh, you know, quite, quite a few pieces. Um, you know, I think, you know, more so than anything, I think the togetherness of this group, uh, you know, we've, we've, we have talented individuals, but, but really this year you feel a sense of, um, you know, you feel a sense of togetherness and you feel a sense of, of family, uh, not just the players, um, but the front office, uh, fans, um, you know, it, it all feels, it all feels like we're, we're one. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's something that um, you know uh, we can we can really look to to this year to lean on. Um, but it's been something that I've noticed uh, more so than anything compared to the previous years. You were appointed team captain earlier this year. What does that role involve for you on and off the field? Yeah, the, the role is um, you know extremely important to me. Um, first and foremost, um, you know, having been at this club now for five years, knowing what it means uh, to play for New York City Football Club. Um, you know, um, it's it's an honor to, to captain this team, and uh, I think it's you know it's got it's got its own you know it's it's learning curve. You're, you're um, you know you're you're faced with so many different you know situations throughout the year, and um, but you know again I've played with a handful of these guys for so long, so um, you know the transition was was pretty seamless. We have we have a group of good guys. Um, we have a fantastic club. So uh, to, to step in and, and captain this club. Um, for me, uh, was 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 a smooth transition and, and one I've, I've taken a lot of pride in, um, and uh, made it my commitment to uh, to to achieve something and, and, and really strive for excellence because that's what this uh, that's what the standard of this club is. Your team has the MLS Golden Boot winner, twenty three year old Tati Castellanos. He'll be back for the final. What have you learned about him by now in terms of his goal scoring ability and, and what he's like as a person? Yeah, you know, super, super happy for Tati and his achievement of, of winning the golden boot. Uh, you know, um, you know, so many talented strikers and to to be 
um, to set himself apart from from the rest, uh, apart from the pack, and establish himself as as the you know king goal scorer of the season, I think is is a testament to how hard he works on a daily basis. I mean, um, the kid is is so driven. Um, he he's relentless to to get better. Um, you know, in, in, in moments um, where you know a lot of people take their foot off the gas pedal, he's he's looking for the um, you know the next best thing to improve himself and. Uh, you know, we're, we're so happy to have him on the team. We're happy to have him back in the final. Um, but he's uh, he's a special talent, um, and, and we're, we're lucky to have him. It seems kind of crazy that this is MLS's 26th season, and a New York team has never won the MLS Cup title, especially considering the New York Cosmos were the trophy kings of the old NASL. I grew up in Kansas City hating New York teams and all kinds of sports, mainly because they won so much. Would you like to see your New York team become one of those New York teams that's hated because they win so much? You know, I think whatever emotion is associated <laughs> with how people feel about us if we win, I think we'd we'd welcome it. You know, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, championship uh, to this to this city to this club means so much, um, um, and uh, it's something that that we all understand, and we're all um, you know we all understand the moment and the opportunity ahead of us, and. Um, you know, we have a chance to, you know, uh, make history and, and and make the city proud. So uh, we, we take full pride in that and we're we're happy to happy to be in the position to do that. Is being on a pro team in New York City significantly different from being on a pro team in another city? Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, I've, I've um, you know, been fortunate now to to play in a, in a couple of good sports cities. Um, and uh, you know, I have to say this this city is uh, is definitely the best. Um, you know, I think they're the, the fans. Um, you know, like I said, the standards, uh, the demands on on sports teams to to give everything to to win, um, and and what it means. Uh, you can see that week in and week out, um, in good moments, bad moments. Uh, they'll they'll let you know exactly how they feel as fans uh, in the stadium, outside of the stadium. So it's uh, it's amazing. It's amazing uh, to play in a city that that cares so much. Um, and, it, and it means so much to, to the fans in the city. So um, I think that's also a, a good a good pressure um, for guys um, to, to understand how much it means because it also creates that that sense of pride and um, you know something extra special to go out every single game and uh, and play with um, that that mentality and um, with that thought that all the fans are, are behind us as well. Got a couple more questions here with Sean Johnson, captain of New York City. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, one thing you as players have no control over is having to play your home games at Yankee Stadium on a less than ideal field for soccer. How have you dealt with that? And have you allowed yourself to think about what it might be like playing for New York City someday in your own soccer stadium on a proper field. Yeah, you know, I think our, our players, you know, throughout the season, no matter what the circumstances, um, you know, have always given our best, um, put our best foot forward. And, you know, our fans, um, you know, hats off to them. They've they've stuck through us through through thick and thin. You know, it's not the easiest circumstance, um, you know, to, to not play some games in Yankee Stadium. But um, they understood that, um, you know, we, we had to go out and get the job done regardless. And they were they were there supporting um, in those moments as well. So, um, yeah, it'd be you know, fantastic um, to have a stadium one day to call our own. I think, you know, I think everybody's looking forward to it. And, um, you know, I think as, as players, um, no matter where we play, I think playing for the New York City Football Club badge, I think we do it with honor. And I think uh, I think there's a certain level of, 
of respect that we always uphold. And, um, you know, I know we have the, the fans full support and, uh, to do that one day in, in a stadium we call our own, I think everybody would would definitely look forward to to that moment in time. I do have one random question for you here. I still remember back in 2014 when you were with Chicago and you won a Lamborghini for a year by winning the Continental Tires driving contest over another goalkeeper, Dan Kennedy. How did your driving skills get so good? How was having the Lamborghini for a year? And have you continued driving elite sports cars since then? It's a great question. Um, Motorsport is uh, is definitely one of my biggest passions outside of um, outside of soccer. It's been something that you know my my family, my uncle um, got me into motorsport at a young age. Um, I've enjoyed watching um, you know all sorts of, of of racing and and just growing up kind of in that culture as well. So uh, yeah, winning that Lamborghini um, was uh, was a cool moment uh, to to do it on, on an autocross course, uh, competing against some of the other players in the league. Um, yeah, you know, I would just say uh, it's it's kind of another one of those things. You're in the moment. Um, autocross is, you know, it's a one-off. You could have a great lap. You could have a poor lap. So it's just putting together uh, in the moment. Um, it's very similar to, to soccer and, and stepping on the field in, in a big moment and, and performing. So, um, yeah, I, I still do have a love for for fast cars um, and um, have driven some cool, uh, some cool cars since. Um, are you an F1 guy at all? I am an F1 guy. Um, I have uh, been keeping track uh, over the years. It's a pretty exciting uh, end to the season coming up in Abu Dhabi. Um, it's a, uh, it's 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 you know winner go home for for I think uh, for Lewis and Max so it's going to be going to be a thrilling uh, end to the season looking forward to it. Just to wind up here, you've been regularly called into the U.S. men's national team during World Cup qualifying. What would it mean to you if the U.S. stays on track and qualifies to be on the plane to Qatar for the World Cup? A year from now, yeah, I think it means everything uh, to qualify for the World Cup. You know, having having been through um, a couple cycles now with the national team, understanding you know um, the importance of qualifying in this in this country and uh, being a part of that process, I think um, is tremendous. So, yeah, to, to stay on track, to continue on, I think is is the goal. You know, we want to get to to the point where we qualify. Um, and we're headed to Qatar. Um, that's really the only the only singular focus that we have as a group. And you know, every game is uh, is a step along the way to achieving that. So um, yeah, the, the group's super committed. Um, it's a it's a great group of guys. Everybody gets along well, works extremely hard, and I think the results have followed. So I'm um, just looking forward to doing a little bit more of that. Um, you know, next year when uh, when qualifiers start back up, we got some big games coming up, and uh, yeah, looking forward to to continue getting results and staying on track. Sean Johnson's New York City will face the Portland Timbers in the MLS Cup final this Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC and Unimas. Sean, good luck in the final. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Don Garber, Giovanni Savarese, and Sean Johnson, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my new newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription, and I really appreciate your support with that. See you next time. <laughs>